let's face it, from nearly all perspectives, we're going through a rough patch. Inflation, supply chain disruptions, rising gas prices, utter the words green or ESG, and you're likely to be met with abrupt silence. At the same time, and I know this from living through a number of cycles myself, when times get tough, developers and property operators get what they call creative. Even with its precarious start, we've watched things like LED lighting, smart thermostats, even energy management achieve payoff models that were once a dream. It's safe to say that green has matured from a premium cost branding scheme to some seriously attractive payoff horizons. And now with green lending, developers see new opportunities and deals that may not have otherwise penciled. The bottom line, green has earned its way to become a legitimate business model with real payoffs. This goes for design and construction, but equally for facilities and operations. Today, we speak with someone truly at the center of it all, Sanford Steinberg. Sanford's day job is partner and CEO of Steinberg Dickey Collaborative, a multifamily architect and planner. When he's not imagining new apartment communities, he's on the board of Home Innovation Research Laboratories in Washington, D.C. The lab creates and manages the National Green Building Standard. Back in July, we had Michelle Foster, VP of Sustainability with the lab on the show. We learned quite a bit about the great work being done there. So we're really excited to catch up with you, Sanford, to see what's happening in the green world, but also in apartment design in general. Welcome to the show. Uh, thank you, Linda. And I just want to kind of correct you on one thing that I was um, on the Home Innovations Research Lab, but actually a few years ago, they asked me to sit on the consensus committee for the 2020 um, ICC 700, which is the National Green Building Standard. And to do that, I couldn't be on the Home Innovations Lab, um, Research Lab um, Board of Trustees because there's a conflict of interest. And so I happily stepped off the board to do this for multifamily, for NHB, and for the multi and Home Innovation Research Lab. And so it was a great process. I headed up the committee for multifamily, and it literally was it, it was a three-year process to create a new building code, which was really cool. It was fun. Congratulations. Those are big shoes to fill. It, it was great. And it, what I loved about it was when we got to our committee meetings, there were a lot of people in that room that were a lot smarter than I was, and I learned so much. Sanford, let's start at the beginning. What do we need to know about yourself and Steinberg Dickey Collaborative? <sighs> well, gosh, how long do we have? No, just kidding. But um, so I was raised with a father who was an architect. And so he was involved in residential architecture and multifamily. And he kind of was at the point where multifamily became a big industry. So he started at 57 and then got into apartments in the 60s. So as a kid, I ran, we ran around on our holidays. There's always a day that we would take to go look at product, to go look at communities and stuff. So I just kind of fell into it that way and just fell in love with it. So um, went through, went to um, undergrad at University of Colorado, graduate school at UCLA. And when I graduated in 1988, we were in a bit of a recession at the time. <laughs> Prior to that, uh, my father had a business partner and they had grown to 20 people but then overnight with the downturn they were down to like four or five and they were not getting along and so i told my father i said i'm graduating in a month why don't you 
get a divorce from your business partner and we'll start over just the two of us and who else. So we actually started there four of us um, in 88 and um, he had the background, the clientele, and I was the hot new designer. And so that's kind of where we took off from there. So we now we're um, 50 people um, office here in Houston. We have a satellite up in, up in Austin um, and we have a lot of fun. You know, it's, it's, it's just great. So that's how, that was my love for it. That's how I got into it. Um, also, I have been blessed that some of my closest friends are in the industry, but they're on the management and marketing side. So because of that, I learned from them what the renter wants and what works afterwards. I mean, when I go to a property after it's been finished, the first thing I do is I go to the property manager and I said, tell me what works and what doesn't work. And don't be shy. Because that's how we learn to modify our drawings and our communities to work and make them, make them more pleasant for the resident. The majority of your projects are garden, 200 to 400 units. Why is this the mix for success? So that seems to be in the last three, four years where everybody is going with the golden bubble. Um, and I guess, I don't know if that's the right word, but, you know, in in our industry and talking with the builders, it's it all boils down to Economics is number one, it's economics, and then location. So what's happened in the prior years is that all the great locations have been pretty much, you know, in our major cities have been pretty much bought up. And what's left, which are good locations, are sites that have some issues, you know, topography, water, wetlands, so, and they're expensive. So to get, to build on those, you're going to a different product line, which is more expensive and the economics don't work. So we went through years that we were doing four or five story wraps, looking at mid-rise and high-rise stuff. And then all of a sudden, the past three, four years, the majority of the stuff have been the gardens. And it just, a lot of our clients are like, it makes economic sense to do that. We can go out, we can find a great site. We can take the knowledge that we had when we're building inside the city in the inner city and the, and the inner loop and bring that out there and give them that product, but in a garden style and they're killing it. They're doing great. So, and, and now these days, no one knows what we're going to build because of the pricing. I mean, it's, 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 we just had a project today that just, we went through conceptual and the clients came back and said, no, we're not going because we can build it, but the rents just aren't there to support it because of the construction costs. Right so how have features, especially amenities changed in the wake of COVID? And are these changes here to stay? You know, I get that question all the time. <laughs> So I, the, I don't think the features have changed. We've added new things to the amenities and to the units and to the features. So we're still going to have our club room, you know, our, our game room, our fitness center. But what we're seeing now is a lot more private workspaces within the commons area. So we used to we used to do this business center. We used to have a big conference room that the, that the residents can use. That seems to be one thing that's going away. And now we're seeing more four or five separate private work areas. So that way they can get out get out of their apartment if they're in a, a two bedroom or their family there and be by themselves. Um, the other thing that has really impacted our the communities is package delivery, especially with COVID. So what's happened is the managers, a lot of a lot of the leasing agents were spending all the whole day dealing with packages. 
and taking away from their ability to manage and lease the communities. So um, Amazon, uh, there, there's a bunch of other groups that have come out with package lockers, package rooms that the residents can go and deal, do it on their own without um, dealing with management. So they can do it with, with codes, whatever. That's great. But when you get a bed delivered, someone's got to put that somewhere, <laughs> which is always, you know, always have a separate room for that. And we, we've been toying on how to create separate small little locker pack or package rooms for each unit. So that way, the delivery guy, the FedEx, Amazon um, can go, UPS can go to the actual unit and it would be a lock key that they would have to open and put the package in and then the resident would get it from the other side. We're looking at the problem is building code and fire ratings. So it can get very expensive to put a fire rate a box that really has access on both sides. And it may be something that's just in the corridor or outside the door that the resident will go to and that will alleviate um, the management for handling, having to handle that. But that's, that's kind of, as far as COVID, that seems to be the thing that has been the biggest. You know, we are also seeing in our climate and in other nice weather climates is outdoor fitness centers. Those have really become something new and big and they're great. We're doing them outside instead of putting grass down, they're putting turf, you know, artificial turf down. Um, and in a, in a courtyard, it's sex appeal. It activates that courtyard. You know, if someone's on the third floor and they see their buddy down there. They're going to go down and go talk to me, even if they're not going to work out. So it's one thing. It's really nice for social interaction. So. You have a number of projects categorized Gardensity. What is a Gardensity building and how is it different from typical gardens? So we came up with the, the, gar, the Gardensity and we kind of um, coined that name for the product. Um, and we had a need from our clients that were buying land that was too expensive for a garden, but it couldn't support a four or five story wrap product because you had to build a parking structure and the rents wouldn't support it. So we came up with an idea of let's get the densities closer up to 40, if we can, with surface parking. So basically it's a three or four story configuration building or buildings. It could be a one large building with all surface parking or three story with larger buildings versus, you know, in our garden, it's either 24 or 36 unit building. So now we're talking about 52 unit buildings that have a central corridor and then it's all surface parked. And what's nice about it, it brings it in a nice price point that really helps get the density up on land that, Again, like I said, it's a little bit too expensive to do a garden. So we're getting, you know, densities from the mid 30s to the 40s, you know, low 40s on it. So it's also keeping your pricing down to do it. So it's actually a nice sweet spot. Genius. <laughs> SDC has also designed micro unit projects. Some have said that micro units can be the solution to affordable housing. Others say it's a short lived fad. How do the economics of micro units compare to standard and why don't we see more? Um, you know, it's interesting. We, we did the, we, we've been doing a lot uh, in, in the majority of our products, our market rate projects, we've been putting some micro units in the buildings. Yeah, maybe a, a dozen to two dozen in a 300 unit project. And they've always leased well, and they've always stayed leased. leased. So we had a client that came and said, we want to do 100% micros. We have an in-town site 
Um, our whole concept is we're building right in the mid smack middle between downtown Houston and then our the Galleria, which is another one of our financial or business network area business areas. Um, so their idea was we're here. We got all the restaurants and walking distance. We're on major transit lines. What we want to do is build a product that anybody can come live in brand new for around $1,000 a, a, a month. So to do that, the units were getting smaller, but you're getting all the amenities that you would get in a brand new community. Um, you know, there are 10-foot ceilings in there. It is a micro unit like a studio. It's very common to see something like this in New York City, Chicago, Los Angeles, Washington, D.C., but now you're getting a great pool, a great um, amenity area, a nice uh, fitness center. And not only that, your amenities are all around you. So you can walk to the restaurants. You can walk to a gym that's right there. You know, the, the, the by walk, you know, if you want to exercise, you can go down to there. You can walk to all this. So it's been a great product. Now, the economics, not so, don't know much about the economics, but I do know a little bit. I know with this one project, what really helped it work is that on the ground floor, there's 25,000 square feet of retail. So that really helped the economics in this exact, this community work. So it's ground floor retail and five stories above wood structure of um, micro units. Also, the rents of a micro per square foot compared to a market rate are almost double. So on a 300 square foot unit, you're getting oh, $3 plus a foot, where normally a, an 800 or 600 square, 650 square foot unit in a market rate product is going to be around the two, 250 around there. So that helps with the economics get up a little bit higher. So now that we know that you're a real power player with the National Green Building Standard, how many of your clients want compliance with these sorts of standards? And how do you expect this demand to change in the future? So what's interesting, when it first came out many, many, many years ago, we were the first ones to do a large-scale multifamily community under the National Green Building Standard and the bronze level. And it was here in, um, in the Conver no, I'm sorry, in the south portion of Houston by the water by um, where NASA is down here, near, near Clear Lake City. Um, so we convinced our client, we're like, look, it truly, we're building like this already. It's a few little things. You're really only going to spend a lot of your money on, not even a lot of it, of uh, getting it certified. Um, we were already in our specs kind of building to that level. And actually today, even if the client doesn't want it, our specifications are, and the way we do our drawings are to the bronze level of the National Green Building Standard. Um, we've talked to the contractors. They say it really doesn't add any money to the project. So we're like, great. So we're just going to do that. So the client says, hey, we're doing NGBS. We're like, we're in. We're already done it. We're at bronze. Do you want to go to silver? Um, we have done a few in, in silver. We actually did the first silver <laughs> in, in South Carolina, the first large scale. So over 200 units. Now, prior to the first one we did um, down in the Clear Lake area, they had like six plexes and eight plexes that had done it. But we were the first ones that did a 300 unit community. And once our clients saw that, and then their management and their marketing team saw it and they really marketed that and they saw um, the success they had with that. They're all like, yes, we want to do all of our projects like that. So you were talking about with regard to the bronze, a lot of features that really were no cost 
no barrier. What green features are no brainers for new multifamily projects? So, I mean, a, lo a lot of it is a resident's not going to feel it. I mean, a lot, it's not touch and feel stuff. It, it's a lot of it is in the construction. So there, there's simple things of ceiling, um, not, not the ceiling, but ceiling with an S, <laughs> you know, ceiling the walls to the floor, to, to the deck before you pour your lightweight on top of that, you know, making the envelope solid so you don't have any infiltration. Um, better windows, you know, now we have to do lower door tests to see what is happening in the unit. You know, are we, are, are is stuff coming in? Is, is air going out? Is there leakage and all that? So a lot of it is that, but a lot of it also is now a requirement of the national electric code. So, you know, that that's pushed us so far too, to a point that we were probably already there with the NGBS years ago. So, it, it, you know, it's, it's all it's all kind of interesting. You're, you're really not, you know, it's just the little things. You know, it's kind of hard what, to, to describe them. It's not things, like I said, like the resident's going to touch and feel. That stuff is where the where they'll come in and they'll, the um, owners will put in, you know, the Nest thermostats or they'll they'll start getting a, a smart home or, or putting just your light switches that you can control with your phone. You know, we don't see a lot of that. But we're seeing a lot of the Nest or other type of programmable thermostats that you can control from your phone through Bluetooth, um, which helps quite a bit. Um, you know, that's, I mean, the other stuff that we do is it's already built in, you know, just the carpet, you know, um, that doesn't, that's, that doesn't gas off, you know, with this, with the, the, not the toxic fumes, same with the countertop, same with the paint, you know, it's, it's, it's already built into it. At the present, the vast majority of your projects are in Texas, but you also have projects in Pennsylvania, Florida, Colorado, and Nevada, and have worked in something like 30 states. How hard is it to adapt your designs to local regulations and requirements outside of your home territory? It's very easy. <laughs> and it all depends on, you know, the because we have um, the International Building Code. And the majority of your states, your municipalities are under some form of that code. Even when you go to North Carolina that has their own state building code, it's based on the international building code. So that's the easy part. <laughs> the hard part is zoning. Because each separate municipality has a whole separate set of guidelines for their zoning. So typically, it's very easy to find them online. Well, sometimes that's not so easy. And then it's just a phone call to find out, you know, what is it, what do we need to do and get all the information. Um, beyond that, working with local civils help us, civil engineers, also um, mechanical MEP engineers who know the different climates. And we've worked in all the different climates. We know when we get up into a colder climate, there's certain different type, there's certain um, house wraps that you put on a project. There's certain insulation, you go to a little thicker insulation. So we've been doing it so much, it's pretty, pretty simple. And then you go to Nevada, where it's dry as can be, and you don't have to put half the stuff that you put on in wet climate. So yeah, you just basically, it's you learn. What a great show. Thanks for joining us, Sanford. I've learned so much. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. This is very nice meeting you. I'm looking forward to seeing you at the show. Green continues to grow more and more serious and is moving away from the memory of its shaky start. Lenders and investors looking to boost their ESG portfolios federal programs with attractive rates for green qualified buildings 
and green amenities that are truly beginning to reach reasonable payoff models, even returns, giving the sector legitimacy and purpose. And through it all, folks like Sanford will make sure we've protected its hard-won value through measurement and tracking. Thank you for joining us. I'm Linda Hoffman. Look forward to our next exciting episode of NAHB Power Hitters.